what your greatest hope is and what you're putting all of your time, energy, attention, anticipation into. And really, this, is, this will be a sermon series about worship. Because the things that we hope in, the things that we desire, the things that we long for is really an outpouring of our worship. And so as we go through the sermon series, uh, it's, we're not going to necessarily always discover the depths of our hope, but we will discover the depths of what we worship. And it's never, do you worship or do you hope in something? It's always, what do you hope in and what are you worshiping? And if you're someone who's not religious, say, well, I don't worship. You do. It's just in what? And that's the question that we're going to be asking ourselves throughout the series. Um, <clears throat> as we go, as we think about hope, think about things like these. Uh, what is the hope for your family? What do you what do you hope in for your city? What do you hope in for your career and your friendships? What do you hope in for your neighborhood, the people who live beside you? It's so easy to be anonymous in this city, right? What do we hope for for our neighbors? We lived in Greektown for a little bit, and one of our immediate neighbors was this like super old Greek lady, and it would be so easy just to ignore her, right? But we built a little bit of a friendship, and she'd always bring over these little Greek cookies we could dip in our tea and stuff, and it's just so cute. And then she'd come over and say, hey, I can't reach my light bulb. Can you fix it, right? What are my hopes and desires for her? The holidays, like Daniel said earlier, uh, are an opportunity to reveal and revel in the things that we hope and long for. And so for some of us, it's things like this. Simple, just, I really want a nice family dinner this holiday. I really want that new Xbox. I really want that person to propose to me this year. I really want the people I love to meet Jesus. And those things are always part of our hopes, but the holidays just seem to have a way of amplifying all of them, right? The holidays are also an opportunity to be crushed by the things that we hope for when we don't get them. It's Christmas time, and I'm alone again. I just didn't want to be alone for one more Christmas. Why do you always get drunk and fight with me during the holidays? I didn't get the present that I was really wanting, or I got the knockoff version, and it's just not as good. Let's show, I got some, I got some images. Uh, I wanted to have some fun with you guys before we dive right into some serious Bible teaching. Let's just throw them up on the screen here. You can go just a little bit slower. Let's have time to just really soak this in. You recognize some of these characters? If you can't tell, they're all on their phones. <laughs> Angry cat, <laughs> amazing. 
<laughs> That's inappropriate. This is a church, right? <laughs> right? Right? Grandma's turkey? Come on, guys. But grandma's comments, ooh. <clears throat> And then here's, some, here's the last two for us Christians here. Or at least people who grew up in church. If you're always there, you're always at Christmas. Trying to just survive the holidays with those ultra-religious parents or grandparents. Or maybe for us people who even go to this church every week. Uh... So it was Black Friday on Friday, and I was working. I work at the Eaton Center. It was crazy. It was just a crazy rat-infested place with all sorts of nasty stuff happening, people rushing through the mall, bashing each other on the shoulders because they really need to get to the next store and spend all their money. Um, and so we basically couldn't leave our, our work in a little kiosk in the middle of the mall, and it's just like the traffic going all around us, right? And so you don't want to leave the kiosk because you might get trampled or run over. We also don't want to leave the, the kiosk because I work on commission, and so if I miss a customer, then I miss a sale, right? Um, and so our, our manager was nice enough to order us pizza, okay? And so excited, right? Free lunch, yes! Pizza, yes! All right, and she tasked someone to do it. You, order this pizza. And we're like planning it out perfectly. All right, we're going to get four large pizzas. There's about eight people, and you know, me, you, and you, we're each going to eat an entire pizza to ourselves. And so the rest of the people, they can have one between the five of them. And, <laughs> and we're picking toppings, and we're, everything's super precise. And uh, we're planning, okay, if we order the pizza this time, then it'll show up at this time, and that'll be perfect because these next people will show up so they can join us in the pizza, and we can all have pizza together, and it'll be the perfect pizza, and we'll just, we'll get that much more energy. We don't have to go into the crazy food court where you can't even get a seat. You have to sit on the floor um, that's covered in garbage because people don't know how to put stuff in the garbage, or the garbages are just full, right? And so it's, all of this is just so exciting. And then 40 minutes went by. And the pizza didn't come. And then 50 minutes went by, and the pizza didn't come. And then an hour and a half went by, and the pizza didn't come. And then two hours went by, and the pizza didn't come. <laughs> and then two and a half hours went by, and the pizza didn't come. And I'm freaking out at this point. Just freaking out, like I'm hanging off the side of the kiosk, like being all super dramatic like I am sometimes, just like, ah, like I'm melting, I'm dying, where's our pizza? Guys, I don't even think I can stand anymore and I really have to go to the bathroom, but what if the pizza shows up when I'm in the bathroom? <laughs> and everyone's getting frustrated, right? Because it's a long time. And actually, like I was kidding around, but really I was like getting lightheaded and I was just thinking about, man, I have to talk to another person. I, I hope I'm still saying words. Um, <laughs> I just really want this pizza. Um, and we discovered some mix-up that we kind of found what the problem was, and we got the pizza guy to come back, and then he, he calls and he's saying, okay, so you're the virgin kiosk, where exactly are you? Okay, in the middle of the mall, awesome. Uh, I'll be there in 10 minutes. And then 20 minutes went by, <laughs> and he finally came. And the manager starts talking, I'm like, hey, this pizza should be free, right? 40 minutes or it's free. Price guarantee. Pizza, pizza, what's up? 
right? This has been two and a half hours. We should get our pizza for free. And the guy starts arguing and this reason or that reason. And my manager's like, dude, I'm not paying for this pizza. Like two and a half hours, people like left home, were left to go home who were supposed to eat this pizza. And now they're not here to eat this pizza anymore, right? Like this is all screwed up our whole day. We were hoping and longing for this pizza. And the guy called his head office and put my manager on the phone halfway through the conversation. He starts freaking out, give me my phone. And he ran off with his phone and the pizza. <laughs> and all of us were just left disappointed and hungry. This can be the reality of the holidays for some of you. And I know it's a funny story. It can also be the reality of your relationship with God. Hoping and longing for something and feeling like it's just never coming. Or when you finally get it, it gets snatched away from you. And it can destroy you. God, I asked you for this, and I still haven't gotten it yet. God, I perfectly planned out my life, and it's not working out according to my plan. God, I've prayed and read the Bible every day. You owe me. God, I thought you loved me. Why would you let this happen to me? God, when I finally got what I wanted my idol that I was worshiping instead of you. You took it away. How dare you? I'm going to talk, tell a little bit of a story. Um, it's an old story about an old couple uh, who had to deal with a situation kind of like this. And it's going to illustrate our first point, and that's let God define the relationship with our family, with our friends, with our coworkers, with our stuff, with him. Let's let God define the relationship. So we're going to read uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 25. The, the verses we read earlier, the scripture reading, that's the end of the story where we see the old man rejoicing and praising God for his grace towards him, for his salvation that has been given to him. And it's beautiful, and he's preaching to his family and neighbors, and that's the end of the story. And let's read the beginning. All right, Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 25, and it's up on the screen. It's a lot of scripture, and as you guys have learned, I like to do that sometimes. So we're going to do it again. <laughs> In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, this is our man, of the division of Abijah, that's just kind of like his priestly section he was a part of. Uh, and he and his wife from the daughters of Aaron. So very important family lineage. Brings us all the way back to Exodus. Um, just a family lineage of priests. A ministry family. A long line of history. Thousands of years. And her name was Elizabeth. Uh, and they were both righteous before God. Walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. So real quickly we learn Elizabeth is barren. And normally that's like a sign of God's judgment. And so her neighbors, friends, family would 
possibly gossip about her behind her back or to her face, um, talk down upon her, abuse her even. Um, but God says right before this, it's not because it's not of that. They were walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. So without getting too caught up, let's keep going. And both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, uh, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And all of us Gentiles go, what the heck does that mean? Uh, basically, each division of the priesthood was assigned a certain amount of time where they were the ones who uh, manned the temple, staffed the temple, did the sacrifices, burned the incense. And Zechariah um, is the one who they rolled the dice. And, all right, Zechariah, your turn to go in, burn the incense. And once you do that, it's the one time in your life that you get to do that for your division because it's actually thousands upon thousands of priests who get to do this. So he's not like the very big, special, important priest. He's just like one among many little priests. Um, Let's keep going. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to be an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Have you seen an angel recently? It would be pretty scary. (laughs) Let's just say that. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, actually, let's pause. Man, that's amazing, eh? God shows up with an angel and gives him this message and all the prayers that he's been hoping and longing for. Elizabeth's been barren and they're probably 50, 60 years old maybe. And they haven't had a child. And they've been wanting a child. They want to be able to continue the line of Aaron and uphold this amazing ministry family legacy that they've held, being faithful to God representing the people of God, mediating between God and the people at the very holiest of holies, the place where, where God's presence dwelt most tangibly and closely on the earth. And they had no child to, to teach and to disciple and to lead into the presence of the Lord to carry on this amazing legacy. And it would be devastating. Some of you are in that situation. My wife and I are talking about kids sometime in the future and without revealing too much, right? This could be us. Like, we could start trying and nothing. Keep trying and nothing. And then we're 40 and still nothing. And then we're 50. 
And like we're excited, right now we're like excited, like, oh, is this the next step? And when, when are we really going to start trying? And what's it going to be like? And oh, I can't wait to meet them. And we're praying for them and blessing our future children and hoping and planning and preparing. And what if it just didn't come? And then finally the angel comes. And he says, your prayers have been heard. As he places the frankincense on the, in the little cup and, and fumes up and the angel appears. Your prayers have been heard, all those prayers, all those years. And then probably this one time, this special moment in your life where you went into the temple to burn the incense and prayed, God save Israel and God give me a child." What a day for Zechariah. And this is his response. <laughs> How shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. <laughs> like, I'm old. She's old. How's this going to happen, man? Like, I, it's cool you're an angel and everything, but this is just not going to work. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Like, just shut up, Zechariah. <laughs> I'm an angel who stands in the presence of God. This is a big day. I told you your prayers were answered. Really? <laughs> You're going to doubt this? Just shut up for a while. And it's still going to happen. Don't worry. God's grace to you is, is great. And even though you don't believe him, we're, it's still going to happen. And you're still going to get your child. <clears throat> and the people were waiting for Zechariah. So this has taken a while. And all the people are like kneeling down on the marble floors, like waiting for the priest to come back so he can give them his vision or word from God and just bless them and they can leave. <laughs> And they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. Can you imagine what this would be like? <laughs> and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service has ended, he went home. He went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, uh, saying... Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among the people. We're going to stop there with the, uh, with the scripture. This is what we know about Zechariah and Elizabeth, and I touched on it briefly. They're old, they're barren, they're poor, and they've been walking with God for a long time. Guess what they didn't do in their lifespan? They didn't worship their children or their lack thereof, worship the idea of children. And some of us, that's our relationship with our kids, is we just want so much for them. Sometimes like it can come out of a good place. Like we want the best for them and we want joy for them and we want them to grow up and be successful and we want to love them and be with them and encourage them and 
And sometimes it just doesn't, doesn't happen that way all the time. I remember some of the things that I said to my parents, like, man, awful stuff. Just imagining how that would have devastated them and what that would be like if I was the sole provider of their identity and hope. Because some of us worship our kids or the idea of kids. And if you don't have kids or you can't conceive, it's, I just want a family, I just want a family, I just so badly want a family. And it doesn't come and it doesn't come and it doesn't come. And your identity becomes, I'm not good enough or I don't deserve this, or God doesn't love me. And that didn't happen to Zechariah and Elizabeth. They kept their worship and their hope on the God who said he was faithful and now finally revealed himself to be faithful. And I'll point out too that uh, God hasn't spoken to his people for 400 years. God hasn't sent a prophet, hasn't written a book of the Bible, hasn't given a vision that way back in Malachi, written 400 years previously, he said there will be one who will prepare the way for him. And the whole nation is standing on that promise. And Zechariah is faithfully standing on that promise. And he says, God, I know you're good. God, I know you're faithful. God, we've been waiting for a long time. But I refuse to put my hope in something else to satisfy this need for identity and purpose and value right now. And I'm going to pray to you and I'm going to worship you. And you will define everything. And if in this life I don't get the things that I want or I don't my perfect plan doesn't come to fruition, I'm still going to worship you and I'm still going to trust you because in the next life, everything will be made new and everything will be fulfilled and everything will be perfect. And we will get to be with you forever. Uh, They didn't get a divorce. Zechariah could have divorced his wife for being barren, but he didn't. If he... His definition of the relationship could have been, you're not good enough for me, I need another woman who is good enough for me, but I love you and the promise that I made with you and what we represent together as, as one flesh in unity together, as a representation of God who is one, that picture is way more beautiful than my selfish desire to, to need, need, and need kids if, God, it's beyond your perfect plan for me that I will stay with her and I will be faithful to her and love her and care for her and sacrifice for her no matter what. They didn't commit adultery like Abraham. Do you guys remember this story? Abraham and Sarah couldn't have a baby, didn't have a baby. 75 years go by, 100 years go by, and they finally get their baby. But in the middle, or at least the child that God had promised, in the middle of that, they were done waiting for God's promise and they devised a plan of their own that included... Abraham, if my womb's not good enough, how about you use the womb of the slave girl 
take her into the tent and pregnate her, and hey, now we have our promised child. No, you don't. You have a disaster waiting to happen that has plagued the history of the earth, that creates huge conflict between families that turn into nations, that turn into groups of nations. They didn't get bitter. God, why haven't you given me what I wanted? Elizabeth, why isn't this happening? The shame that she would have felt for years upon years upon years. God, why isn't this happening for me? God, I hate you for not giving me this. God, I can't, I can't, I just can't bear them any longer. I hate them. They keep enamoring in the back of my mind and keep abusing me. And God, I just hate them. They didn't get bitter. They walked with God. They waited patiently for God to fulfill his promise. And they consistently and constantly took all their cares and concerns and desires and hopes to the Lord. Uh, I'm going to talk to the guys for a second because I'm one of them and I know that my proclivity outside of Christ is to destroy the relationships around me for my own selfish desires. to neglect relationships, to give up on relationships, to ruin relationships. And I'll just read some statistics. Here's one on neglect. 48% of men play three hours of video games per day or more. Here's one on responsibility. The average video game buyer is a 37-year-old male. We're not talking about kids, right? Uh, in 2005, 95% of video game buyers and 80, sorry, computer game buyers and 84% of console game buyers were over the age of 18. Ninety. Nine points, this is, these are some American stats, just because they're easy to find, and I had books by all sorts of people who just live there, um, but Canada's not too far off. So here's just sure volume of numbers, people who live in the U.S. Uh, 9.7 million Americans uh, are living with the opposite sex as an unmarried um, relationship. 1.2 million of the same sex. a stat about commitment. Every second, $3,075.64 is spent on pornography. Every second, bang, 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 3,000, 3,000, 3,000, 3,000, 3,000, 3,000. That's a stat for men and women. That's not a, just a man's problem. 
1.3 women are raped each minute. It's 1,872 rapes each day by men. Seventy percent of boys attending church will abandon it during the teen years or early twenties. Go to a bunch of different churches, um, and you kind of look at the ratio men to women. It's about what sixty to seventy percent women, and maybe thirty, forty percent dudes, because they're guys are not being discipled, guys aren't being encouraged, guys aren't being pushed towards their savior. And if they do grow up in a church, they learn to just hate it and they abandon it for other fleeting pleasures like sex, money, alcohol. I wasn't brought up in the church and those are some really easy idols to chase after. They give you meaning and hope and joy, fleeting nonetheless, sinful, awful. But sometimes they seem more appealing than a stanky old church that doesn't have the presence of God dwelling with its people. Or maybe it does and we just neglect it anyways. Here's some Canadian ones. Uh, Common law couples have quadrupled in the last 50 year period, 1961 to 2011. Uh, lone parent that single moms and single dad, single dad families have doubled. People not living in a census household um, that is like mom, dad, kids. Um, they're living in uh, with other family or friends uh, or just by themselves um, has more than doubled in the last 50 years. Crazy, crazy. Why? We have to ask ourselves, why, why, why? And if, if your thing is pornography or if your thing is, man, this relationship is stale, so I'll just go find a new one and I'm married, like, don't blame your spouse. Oh, she doesn't do this. Oh, she does this too much. Oh, I hate the way she laughs. Man, you haven't been married to my spouse. Like, you don't know me. You don't know my situation. You don't get to blame her. You don't get to shift the responsibility somewhere else. Because that's what we tend to do, right? That's Adam in the garden. God, you gave me a broken woman. That's why we sinned. It's her fault, anyways. So where's the hope in that, right? We hear all these stats and we're like, yeah, that's crazy. And us in the church, we're like, man, that's, that's happening around me? Really? Yeah, I lived in that for 23 years. That was me. That was my life. That was the way I acted and thought. So we say, what's the hope? And this is point number two. We just talked about letting God define the relationship now we're going to let God redeem the relationship. 
So you're in this situation. What's the hope? We see from the example of Zechariah and Elizabeth, they wait. They wait patiently for his blessing, his grace, his timing, his purposes. God, what do you have for me today? How should I act today? God, what are the sinful thoughts coming out of my heart and mind today? What should they be instead? How can I think? How can I act? God, redeem these things. Save my marriage. God, what do I do in this situation? God, I can't stop clicking to the next screen. And they kept praying. They never stopped praying. So here's my question for you. What have you stopped praying for? Because you feel like you've waited too long and you've given up hope now. What have you stopped praying for? Oh, they're just like that. They're never going to change. Oh, I'm just like that. I'm never going to change. Because God always answers. Do you believe that? God always answers your prayer? Yes, no, or later? Maybe just sometimes you don't like hearing the later. Sometimes we talk too much and we listen too little. And so for this part, in letting God redeem the relationship, let's be a church that listens. When we read his word and we let it come into our mind and we hear people speaking it, let's be a church that listens, lets it sink down deep so that we can stand on it. I'm a good father and you can have a new life in Christ that Jesus is coming. That's what he said to them. Here he is and your son is going is to go before him and, and point people towards him and many will be saved and the hope of the world has finally arrived that you've been waiting for and waiting for and waiting for waiting for waiting for stand on that keep hoping in that I'm a good dad and I've fulfilled my promises and I will continue to fulfill my promises and my love continues to pour out for you daily, daily, grace upon grace. Every spiritual blessing if you're in Christ is yours. Salvation is yours. Forgiveness of sin is yours. You can be made new. You can have a new hope. Jesus has come and for us today Jesus has died and rose again and conquered the grave for all of those things. Let's see what uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah do. Um, this is actually something just at the end of the last verses we read uh, about Elizabeth's reproach. She went home. This is so beautiful. Let me find it. This is what she says. Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. And it says that she went home and didn't show herself for five months. She's just worshiping, praying, preparing, getting ready. Reproach literally means disgrace, like a person without grace. The way people would have treated her, thought about her, 
acted towards her. It's a picture of the doctrine of expiation that is amazing and a really complicated, weird word. <laughs> like, uh-oh, what's he going to talk about? That God literally takes away our sin, that he makes us clean. And the people of Israel, they would, they would confess their sins onto the animal and they would send it out into the wilderness. And it's a symbol of God literally taking the sin away from the people. That God's removing her reproach, giving her, filling her with grace. <clears throat> All right, let's look at Luke chapter 1, verse 57 and 66. This is where it gets really cool. And we're getting towards, towards the ending where we see Zechariah preach. <clears throat> All right. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him uh, Zechariah after his father. <laughs> You've got to love friends like that, eh? You should name your child this. You should do that. You should, I think great, green would look great in that room. Like, da 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 You should da da Call him that. Anyway, they came anyways, which is sweet. Um, but his mother answered, no. He shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by that name. Why would you do that? None of your relatives is called by that name. And they made signs to his father. Like, what are you, th are you going to say something about this? Like, she doesn't want to name it. And he asked for a writing tablet. He's still mute five months later. <laughs> God said, Shut up for a while. <clears throat> And they made signs to his father inquiring uh, what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. Let me tell you what John means. I've written down right here. God is gracious. You know what Elizabeth means? God's oath or promise. You want to know what Zechariah means? God is remembered. And after all that time and after all that waiting, they named their child just a line of praise to him. God is gracious. Let's keep going. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke blessing to God, and fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all of the hill country of Judea, and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts. Just beautiful. And we get to the end, those last verses that we read in the beginning. Oh, here's one last part of verse 66. You can turn the page, there's more to go. Just, the Bible is just a never-ending cove of awesome. Um. <laughs> Here, let's read the whole thing. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. <clears throat> 
And then Zechariah preaches. So, so this is the picture here. The community is gathering, right? What a beautiful picture of the church. Are you in a body life group yet? You should be. That's where the community gathers. And the community is celebrating. They're rejoicing with those who rejoice. And all the friends, all the friends who maybe they're in the same situation as Elizabeth, they aren't getting jealous. They're getting, like, covetous. I wish I had a child. Where's my child? They're just rejoicing with those who rejoice. Man, God has blessed you. That's amazing. Let's get together and celebrate that God is gracious, that God, God's oath, Elizabeth, has been Zechariah, remembered, and then given John. He's gracious. And they sing, and they pray, and they eat. This is a good body life group. Right here. Anybody in a body life group like that? Hands up. Come on. I know you out. Don't hide. If you're not in a body life group like that, a small group of, of community who are seeking God, discovering God, maybe some of them don't know God. They all have um, some people who do, and they're all pointing each other towards Jesus and giving each other hope and singing together and eating together and giving each other community and identity and pointing each other towards their destiny. Get in one of those. It's just awesome. And, and then Zechariah gets up, and the last thing he does, the, that the whole community does together, and you should do this, is they gospelize each other. What does that mean? He gets up and he preaches. So let's read that scripture one more time. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He's preaching the good news, pointing them to Jesus, right? Verse 69, and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Prophecy is being fulfilled. John has come. My family got to be a part of that. He's going to trumpet and lead people towards God's salvation. God is here. God has come to the earth to be with his people to save them. Come with us in that. Put your faith and hope and trust in him for that. He's gospelizing the community. As he, verse 70, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, people we have waited and our faith has not shaken. And if your faith has, come back. Come back. Put your hope back in this. Because God is faithful. 71. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. There's a real enemy. And he hates you. And Jesus defeated him on the cross. And you can have freedom and you can have victory. Whatever sin you're dealing with, you can have victory over it. Jesus is one. The enemy's influence in your life, you can have victory over that because Jesus is one. Seventy-two, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. God is merciful. Do you know that? God is merciful. 
and he freely forgives. And he freely gives out mercy to those who are in Christ. And we're going to celebrate that together in communion. Say, God, thank you for your mercy. That the punishment I deserved, you took upon yourself. That that son, that baby that you have sent, preceded by the other baby, who even, this is cool, he, re, he rejoices in the spirit in his mother's womb. This is like two babies in their womb worshiping God. Want one good argument against abortion? Like, <laughs> the worship of God happens in a womb. And we feel the, spirit, the Holy Spirit inside of a womb. So amazing. And if you've, if you've aborted a child, like, it is murder, but there is forgiveness, forgiveness because God is merciful. And that sin gets expiated away from you when you put your faith in him whose body and blood was broken and shed for you. Let's just finish his sermon. And hopefully every sermon is, is just like Zechariah's. Verse 73, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant to us. Oh, this is my last point too, right? Number three, let's just start with relationship with God. Let's start with relationship with God before we, before we try and fix anything else, before we try and do anything else, define anything else, find purpose in anything else. Let's just start with relationship with God. And that's what he's telling. That's what he's preaching, right? Verse 73, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us. God has promised. God is with his people. God has interactions with his people. He makes promises and he fulfills them and they pray to him and they speak and it's beautiful. 74, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. Remember that first question? What are you afraid of? What is your biggest fear? You don't have to have fear. In Christ, there is no fear. Perfect fear casts out, sorry, perfect love casts out fear. That we might serve him without fear. How are you serving him? You know, part of uh, planning a church is like really scary. Taking steps of faith uh, for Mike and Daniel to sell everything and go to another country. Like that is scary, but they served him nonetheless in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days were 75. That when God speaks to you and says, here's your identity. Church, hear me in this. This is God speaking to you. Here's your identity, that you could serve him without fear in holiness. You are holy, set apart for him and righteous before him all the days of your life. 
all the days of your life, you now get to live in holiness and righteousness because of what he did for you on the cross. All the days of your life, without fear, set apart for him, holy and righteous, that you can come before a loving father in right standing without shame and say, God, you're my father. And he says to you every time, you're my son or daughter, and I love you. That's the good news of Christmas. As we come take communion, let's remember that. And then let's sing. And then let's give our resources towards sharing that and building this church and loving people in this city. I love Christmas. I love what Christmas means. I love what Christmas is. Before I hated Christmas, I fought with my mom every single Christmas, every single one. And God's redeeming that relationship slowly. And it's beautiful. And I hope you get that with the relationships that might be broken in your life. And it takes a while. It takes a while. But let's give all of that to Jesus today. So let's pray and then let's take communion together. Lord, 